It's 2020 and currently the world is experiencing a crisis like never seen before. The coronavirus has rapidly spread across the globe, collapsing industries, hospitalising thousands of people and resulting in many fatalities. In this episode, we're speaking with Sarah Wallace, a leader, regulatory and corporate crime lawyer and partner with Constantine Law. In a follow-up to the previous podcast about investigations, we're having a conversation about consequence management arising after investigations have completed. Okay, good evening, everyone. Um, welcome to the next episode of the SCADI podcast. Um, we are taking it further from the last episode, which was talking about uh, internal investigations. And I'm joined uh, this evening by Sarah Wallace, who is a partner with Constantine Law. Um, Sarah has a, a very long and varied career um, starting actually in, in, in audit with KPMG, but moving through um, the Financial Conduct Authority and, and the regulator through to a career in law, uh, focusing um, predominantly on internal investigations and also on uh, employment and, and HR related matters. So I think none better really to join us and talk about our next topic, which is the topic of consequence management and uh, things related to that in internal investigations. So Welcome, uh, Sarah. Thanks very, very much for joining us. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how you've been taken into the world of internal investigations? Yeah, so, I mean, you're right to say investigations is sort of my bread and butter work. I mean, I started off life about 25 years ago after KPMG, um, training to be a, a criminal solicitor. And so, um, you know, I would spend the first couple of years of my career, you know, it was going to police stations in the evening and then clearing the cells of the magistrate's court in the morning. Um, and then I, I moved on to financial crime, financial investigations, because I'm quite mathematical and I, I love that subject matter. And, and for a couple of years, defending back-to-back SFO, serious fraud office investigations, you're quite right. I did a, a stint um, on secondment at what was then the Financial Services Authority, still in contact with a lot of people who still work there and, and, and who've left. Um, and that sort of brought me into the world of, the, yeah, the FCA uh, investigates criminal offences like inside the dealing. That brought me into the world of regulatory investigations. And then I would say, you know, probably about 10 years ago, for me, or eight years ago, um, you started to have the rise of the internal investigation. And I would say at the moment, internal investigations are at their peak. And I, and I, I don't think that that will dip off. I think after we get through you know, this ghastly pandemic, um, you know, sadly, I think there will be a, a space of internal investigations relating to behaviours that have been uncovered through, through the period we're going through now. So obviously you have a, you know, it's recent, but a long experience in internal investigations. And that, that's kind of, it's, it's slightly longer than SCADI's where, you know, we've been at it, I guess, sort of eight years, um, but slightly longer yourself. Um, perhaps for the listeners, you could just take us through really what um, the typical involvement would be in, in your mind for, for a law firm working with, let's say, a, a you know, medium-sized financial institution that could be presented for the first time, let's say, with an internal investigation. And I guess, as you say, statistically, that the probability of this is quite high, given the situation that we've been and the potential for things to have gone wrong um, during the lockdown and, and so on and so forth this year. What, what are the sort of steps that they would take? Yeah, I think, I mean, you asked, you know, at what point lawyers get involved. I mean, I, I think for, the first thing is, if you're a firm that is um, regulated by a regulatory body, that there is 
there is a greater scrutiny in relation to the firm and individuals' behaviours. Um, and so you and I come from the world of financial services, and um, financial services in is intensely regulated by the FCA, the PRA, and, and sometimes global regulators around the world. So, so that's sort of generally one of the reasons why there'll be an internal investigation. Another big reason, not, not the only reason why you do an internal investigation, but it can be because you've got to notify your regulator and it could lead to regulatory or disciplinary action. And so there is a um, there's a real emphasis or requirement that you have to get to the bottom of what may or may not have gone wrong. Um, so, so lawyers sometimes are involved when there's a risk of you know, the, the external regulators are very keen to know uh, what you're doing and whether there's been a problem. Um, another reason can be because um, the board of directors might be involved and so they it's difficult for them to oversee or to have independence of an internal investigation so so law firms or investigators like yourselves are brought in to give a degree of independence to the process um one, one of the things that i mean it's always a judgment call as to whether you involve solicitors because obviously there's a cost that comes to that um but then another reason sometimes is because you want to maintain privilege or um, a higher level of confidentiality over what you're looking into because further down the line um, there might be risk of litigation around it and so the firm is keen for uh, the cloak umbrella of privilege um which which means that it's harder for privileged material to be disclosed to the outside world. Right. Okay. And I think I think pri privilege probably is a, quite a consideration for people. I mean, you've given quite a good um, overall sort of explanation of what privilege is. But a lot of our listeners will come from the the audit world, the compliance world. Is there a kind of a very kind of good layman's? Uh, overview you could give to them just in a nutshell of what privilege <laughs> Nick there are textbooks uh, written on privilege and uh, there's also quite a lot of uh, litigation going on now as to what's privileged and what isn't actually interestingly often in the context of internal investigations um, generally uh, the work that a firm is doing with a solicitor has to relate to the giving of legal advice or if there's a reasonable likelihood of litigation, uh, the communications with, between the client in relation to legal advice in relation to that, and then it's litigation privilege is slightly wider. It, it covers communications with third parties as well. But it's it's got to revolve around the giving of legal advice. And in the context of internal investigations, there's been a lot of um, court cases about whether interview notes of a uh, interview with a witness uh, with a lawyer being present is privileged or not. Um, so not every communication that a firm has with solicitors is privileged, but if it is connected with the giving of legal advice, then you can run an argument that it is. Um, you know, just label, if you label something privileged, that, that's a starting point to getting to, to an evidential basis that it is, but just because something's called privilege doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And it's, it is an interesting point because, it, as you say, it's about the giving of legal advice, and that it obviously is is dependent on the people that you're working for. Who are you actually working for in a, in an investigation? If you're if you're brought in, are you working for the directors of the firm? Would you be working for the shareholders? Would you be working for the employees? How would it work? 
Yes, yeah, so, okay, that's a good question. So, so you have to define who your client is. So if, if a firm, a company instructs, then the firm is the client and that's the, that's the entity, the, the legal person that's receiving the advice. Um, as a bit of an FYI, of course, if, um, if you're giving advice to a company and those who run the company change at a later date, uh, those new people running the company further down the line might decide to waive privilege and reveal the privilege to uh, the outside world. But no, if you're acting for a, for a company, the company is the client. But, that, but I mean, what my practice is to do is to say, who is going to give instructions on behalf of the company? And that might be the board, or it might be a couple of board members. Sometimes in the context of internal investigation, if the board is conflicted, you sometimes have a separate committee that is formed, maybe of a couple of non-executive directors, uh, possibly another senior manager, and they provide the instructions in relation to the internal investigation, and they receive the legal advice in relation to it. But I think the thing that's important to note is if you make your client group too wide, then there's a risk that privilege could be lost. And um, you know, directors have to understand that they are not the recipient of that advice. And so a new board could decide to, to waive that privilege, which sometimes can cause difficulties if the previous board hasn't necessarily followed legal advice. Uh, and so there can be this unpicking of privilege in the context of an internal investigation. If your client is an individual, uh, so a board member, then, then, then they would be the client and they, they would own the privilege. It's for them to say whether or not privilege is, is, is waived. So one, one of the things in internal investigations is, you know, who, who, who's your client? Is, is, it, is it an individual who you're acting for or is it the company? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And those interests might be those interests might be aligned, or they might be aligned but diverge, or they may be diverged right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that's that's an interesting point. And and where does that leave um, the firm with regard to their obligations to the regulator versus their use of privilege to obviously to protect themselves? Yeah, another good question. So, no regulator or prosecution pr prosecution authority will say can compel you to hand over privileged material. You know, that, privilege is in, entrenched in English law and, and other jurisdictions around the world recognize privilege in the same way. However, there is a huge emphasis on what is called cooperation. Um, and you know, the FCA you know, may expect you know, the product of an investigation, whether it's privileged or not, to be shared with them. And tensions might there may be a tension if it isn't. In, in the serious fraud office world of deferred prosecution agreements, um, you know, there's a lot written about the extent to which privilege should privileged material should be shared. And I, I, I'm a lawyer, so I'm very highly respectful of privilege. And you know, one gives advice and takes instructions. So I'm not going to say if you're in an internal investigation, you will definitely have to hand over the the, the product. Some some large institutions don't cloak their investigations with privilege. Um, it all depends. It, the, a more cautious approach would be to cloak it with privilege if you're using lawyers to begin with, because, because you can always waive that privilege at a later date. If you don't cloak it in privilege, if you can, then it may be harder to <laughs> reverse that at a later date. 
Right, okay, I understand. So it's kind of a prudent measure measure to take at the outset and then you can determine later what happened. Yeah, I mean, a lot will depend on what the factual subject matter of the investigation is. Um, So if it's something that's going to be reputationally damaging, if it's something that could lead to shareholder disputes um, and claims against you, you know, those are drivers, I probably would say, to ensure that privilege is there. The, the trouble with internal investigations is that you don't always, if you had a crystal ball, it would be easy. To, to, so, so often what I'm doing is it's being prescience. It's putting your mind forward a year, two years, five years down the line and sort of trying to do damage limitation. But yeah, at the moment, there's a lot of emphasis on um, non-financial misconduct. So, you know, factually, that can be like a bullying case, a harassment case, maybe a degree of you know, sexual impropriety and you know those are reputationally quite damaging they can be quite damaging for the individuals involved but you know it's you know is it, it, there's a lot of emphasis on those types of, of, of cases and, and often firms are looking at them quite seriously but they wouldn't have but they would have taken a very different view maybe five five years ago as to how those types of things are investigated. I think that's a, a really fascinating point because I, I think you're so right about the, the, the rate at which the world is, is changing, uh, particularly with regard to attitudes, with regard to culture, um, but also with regard to the, the increased transparency in the line of sight that the general public have over activities that just because of the nature of communications and how fast those are changing, people wouldn't have had that line of sight, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, I think of the communications at the start of my career, you know, when I was back working at Bearings and, you mm. know, the collapse of that noble firm. You know, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, can I imagine what the, the reaction in the media would be if, if that happened today and, and the speed at which things would be known and discussed and poured over? Um, very, very different. So that must make a, a lawyer's job quite difficult or solicitor's job quite difficult um, working, you know, as you say, with your crystal ball, trying to look, you know, three, five years ahead with attitudes changing yeah. so quickly. Well, I think it's just the cautious nature. I mean, I can't say all lawyers are cautious, but I, I you know, it's, it's, you know, lawyers do tend to be quite cautious, attention to, 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 to detail. And you're, you know, you're making educated guesses or best guesses, and it's not it's not perfect. So you're sort of trying to do a bit of a damage limitation, but but you have to also measure the temperature of your clients. And you know, some some client clients will say, no, we're an open book and we'll share everything with with the regulator. Warts or it just depends. Hmm. So the, looking at the, the internal investigations and thinking about the consequent ma- consequence management, really. And this obviously is probably a difficult um, question to answer because I'm sure it's not, not an easy thing. But in general terms, when do you find that you move from a kind of investigating phase, fact-finding phase in an investigation, to when do you really start to sort of move to the right, okay, how do we deal with this now? What, are we, what actions are we going to take? You know, moving towards the kind of consequence management. Where, is that a, a quite a delineated progress, uh, process? Is that something that is different for each investigation? How does it kind of work out? Um, I think you generally have an idea as to what the issues may be, you know, even from fairly early on. That doesn't mean that all of those issues 
will manifest itself and doesn't mean that all of the issues that there won't be new ones that arise. I mean, it, it can unfortunately happen that you start investigating A and through looking at A, you discover B and C, yeah, that's, which that's, are worse. I mean, and again, that you, know, you certainly saw that at the end of the last financial crisis. You know, there were um, big investigations often around um, banks and you know trade trading, and you know a lot of things. You know, they uh, investigators saw, and and it led them off down another path. Um, but, you know, certain things are fairly, it doesn't mean this will happen in every case, but obviously, you know, risk of regulatory investigation, uh, you know, what, what the regulator will say. Um, if individuals have done something wrong, uh, will that lead to a disciplinary, in which case you're using you know, your HR teams, your employment lawyers, or either in-house or external, there may be a parting of the ways. Um, you know, there, there are accountability issues. You know, you may, you may have people who haven't been part of the problem. They're just accountable and, and, and they might go. Um, so you have that. I mean, something that's come up through the senior SMCR, um, there's quite a lot of now attention on whether a conduct rule uh, has been breached. And you can agonise, you know, as, as to whether or not uh, that has happened and then what that effect would have on the individual concerns there's a lot now again out of the last financial crisis the linking of conduct with pay and 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 of course that will then trigger uh, issues if potentially if someone's pay is reduced or has an impact on share schemes that type of thing um uh, you know, if it's a, if it's fraud or financial crime that you're investigating do you have to go after money do you have to try and track track you know, lost money down, uh, you know, civil proceedings against the perpetrators. Um, it, again, it depends on the firm, but it could be very damaging reputationally. You know, do you need PR advisors to be talking externally about what's happened? Do, do you, there, there seems to be a trend now, I mean, this is not my area of expertise, but there is a trend if it's a listed company to, to make an announcement to the market about the investigation that can have an effect on share price. Um, so there's, there's a huge number of things involved, and and it will just depend on the on the facts, what what you're doing when, and also I suppose the, the size of the company, whether whether you're a household name or do you have investors who may be unsettled? Um, will you have customers? Will will your your trust and confidence be lost with with? There's all so I think there are fairly tried and tested issues that you need to think about, but it's it's just applying it to the to the fact to the facts of the investigation and your clients. Yes, I mean finance is obviously you know an, an interesting industry just given its global, and you know there's been I mean certainly in my career time a lot of attention given to the kind of nature of behaviour where people you know, essentially just moved on shop to shop ahead of problems. Um, and I'm wondering now, you know, what are your obligations as a firm? If you, if you have something, because, you know, with SCADI, we investigate historic things all the time. And the nature of how rapidly staff turnaround is in the financial industry, it's really quite high, especially if, if we're going back looking at a problem, you know, six, seven years ago, which is not uncommon for us. And certainly, you know, a lot of the people involved um, in that investigation may no longer be with the firm, but some may even have gone overseas. What are your obligations to, to as a firm to 
people that have moved outside of the firm and then indeed people that have moved overseas. Yeah, I mean, it's in the hand, it's in the FCA rulebook. I mean, there may be oblig notification obligations to the FCA in relation to senior personnel. There's a whole raft of notification obligations in relation to conduct rule breaches. So there will be a degree of notification to the FCA in certain cases. Um, if you're a senior manager, you still complete a form A, and there's a huge amount of disclosure that has to be made on that form. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult form to complete. It's quite some quite complicated questions, and, and often people innocently answer things not quite right, and sometimes you know, the FCA can, can pick you up on that. Um, but I mean, the main thing is the regulatory reference, which sort of follows you through your career here. Um, I can't speak so much as to what happens outside of uh, the UK, I'm afraid. Um, I mean, a lot of European, I mean, having said that, a lot of financial services law derives back from European legislation. So, so to the extent we're, we're still in Europe, uh, uh, there might be some changes with, with Brexit, but you know, there, there's a similar way in which information is, is, is sought when you move between firms in Europe. But it's the regulatory reference, which, um, the idea of it is it's um, the firm that you're leaving has to disclose things that are potentially relevant to conduct and fitness and propriety. Right. That's the idea. It's quite a complicated reference to complete and sometimes firms uh, struggle with, with what's disclosed. I mean, sometimes there's a knee-jerk reaction to disclose everything. I mean, I tend to say something the advice that I give is you should only disclose if you need to disclose because if something goes on the form that shouldn't be there you potentially open yourself up to criticism from the departing employee and, and it can cause ramifications in relation you know to can be career limiting you know or the risk is if something's on the form that shouldn't be on there it could affect a, a, a future employment. Right and, and can employees see that form that's been produced by the firm? It's typically the firm will produce it and then provide it. Right. It's not a, it's not a, well, let's fill this form. Well, the ones that, when I've advised on the completion of those forms, it's not one that we've done. Uh, it, it depends. I mean, if, if an employee, generally a firm will do it. If an employee knows that they are leaving, then they can make inquiries as to how the form will be completed. <laughs> but generally firms would I mean the, the position it's an obligation on the firm to complete the form accurately and it, it's just quite tricky because there's, there's time periods it's all six years from the date of the request for a regulatory reference um, whether something's serious misconduct or not there are various definitions that, that you you have to um interpret and then you know whether something affects fitness and propriety so um, sometimes it's very straightforward, some, sometimes it isn't. Okay, thank you, Sarah. And looking at, at certainly the work that we carry out, I'd say, you know, a, a significant number of the investigations that we get involved with are, are whistleblow-related or whistleblow-led. Um, yeah. Any special considerations for investigations involving whistleblowers from a consequence management point of view? I mean, what, what are the um, obligations of a whistleblower, for example? Well, okay, so 
the whistleblower may just be report the whistleblower may just be reporting something that they've seen um it, it could be that they're making a grievance as well um so it's just some sort of a ge very general print principles i mean the fca are very bothers about with about whistleblow about speak up that it works that you know systems are in you know, proper program systems are in place clearly communicated people free feel comfortable and able to report things um or they will be you know and they will be investigated where necessary um and so one of the things which from a firm perspective is you know you, you can't you've got to give you know updates to a whistleblower so that so they they know what's going on but part yeah they're obviously not going to get the detail of what's going on sometimes whistleblowers are quite impatient they think things should happen quite quickly and sometimes investigations are quite slow for for, for good reasons some sometimes um <sighs> there's a slight growing um interest in whistleblowers who can whistleblow in america because in America, people get rewarded. Whistleblowers can be rewarded if, if fines are imposed. Uh, we don't have that here um, at the moment. Um, so it, it depends on, I'm trying to answer your question, it sort of depends on, on, on the whistleblower. Some, sometimes it can be a family member who is the whistleblower, who, who is reporting something through a whistleblowing line. Right. Okay. So I mean, some, some. I mean, sorry, sorry. Some whistleblowers might be fearful for their positions, so anonymity can be very important within an organisation that 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 their identity isn't revealed. I'm am sort of interested in 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 what to what extent, and and obviously you've talked about privilege and and the fact that the 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 the, the, fir, the law firm may be working for, you know, instructed by the firm, etc. I'm just interested in in what how much. Um, one has to tell the whistleblower after inve an investigation is done um, and particularly as you as you observe in the uk you know there is there's no reward for whistleblowing mm. the us is there could be potentially significant reward for, for whistleblowing so mm. i'm just trying to understand what um what what the firm needs to provide or should provide to a whistleblower that's raised some allegations when they've been finally investigated is it is it purely look We've investigated. We didn't find anything. Or do they have to really provide some kind of evidential base to what they've seen? Yeah, I don't think you'd be providing the investigation report, but you know, you you, you would you could. You would probably want to get, explain in general to, if you can. I mean, it, it might be that the outcomes are really quite com confidential. It would depend on the situation as to what you can properly tell. The, tell the whistleblower I see. it would depend because you know if um yeah i think you you know you you obviously want them to know i mean it can be that you know nothing nothing comes of it you know it just it will just depend and you would probably if you can try and give them an explanation in general terms but but it, it might be that the outcomes um you know are are confidential it would just depend and and i guess one one sort of last sort of topic i would would like to explore because you know scardi generally works for firms um we we tend to be investigating individuals i'd just kind of like to flip that around on its head so i can understand what it would be like from the other way so do, 
how how would you work with individuals that are being investigated? How does it look? Yes. Yeah. So I, I have for both firms and individuals. So I've seen it. I see it from both sides. Um, so in terms of an individual, it depends. OK, in general, it would depend who you are. Are you the suspect? Are you a witness? Are you the victim? Are you a whistleblower? And your level of stress will vary depending on where you are uh, in those uh, categories. Um, if you're at risk of having done something wrong, it's pretty brutal. It's it's very stressful. It's You're having to deal with it on top of the day job. Um, you, may, you may be given some time to, to, to prepare and to deal with it. Um, and, and depending on the seriousness of the allegations and, and whether they can be career limiting or at worst career ending, it's, it isn't always a happy place to be. Having said that, um, a lot of senior people do get caught up in investigations, either, either as, um, generally in the investigation, you don't always say the suspect, but as someone where there might be a finding against them. Uh, and to a certain extent, you know, it's an occupational hazard of the senior position that you're in, in intensely regulated, you know, sector. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you have to be able to deal with it because that's part, part, part of the job. Um, so just say, you know, generally, if, if you're if you're at risk of being accused of having committed committed criminal offence, you know, that that's can be worrying and things like that go on a long time. That's, I think, what people probably find quite hard to, to or, and, the, and the public often will be surprised about this. You know, it, in it, 10 years after the last financial crisis, you know, regulators were still looking into the tail ends of things that happened in 2008. I mean, and for individuals, that's very draining, particularly if you've lost your job as well. Yeah, yeah. It can be really hard. If you're a witness, generally, um, you know, you've just got to dig in and deal, deal, deal with it. And, you know, no, no one, no one relishes, you know, um, being interviewed if they don't need to be. Um, the thing about an internal investigation interview is it's not really a fireside chat. It's not, it's not really what's going on, um, particularly if external lawyers or investigators are brought in. There is a formality to it. Um, often you're having to cast your mind back, you know, some time, uh, or even if you're casting your mind back a couple of months, you know, we work at such a rapid pace now, you know, you've got to refresh your memory. Um, and so if I'm working with individuals, we spend a long time, you know, trying to refresh memory, look at look at doc documents to bring it all back so that there's a degree of accuracy in what's being said. But anyway, if, if you're a witness, it's, it's not as bad, um, but it's something that you've got to deal with in a professional way. Um, if you're a whistleblower, it depends what you're whistleblowing about. I mean, generally, whistleblowers find it very stressful as well. They're carrying a lot, which they're, you know, worried worried about, you know, the ramifications for them personally. Um, and probably the same with 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 victims. So so it's generally stressful and confusing. And having someone on your side explaining, rep representing you is generally quite helpful. Thank you, Sarah. Um, you, just one thing you just raised there about how, how far back, um, you know, and how long it takes to, to work through a cycle. And as you say, you know, 10 years after the financial crisis, people still looking at those cases. And, and I, I can certainly back up that uh, observation. Is there a rule of thumb, uh, particularly, you know, when you have a whistleblow um, 
uh, allegation comes to you. Is there a rule of thumb for firms uh, about how far they have to really go back and look at something in terms of time? Or does uh, it actually, it's been so long now, it's not worth going back, or, or not to say not worth going back, we <coughs> won't be obliged to go back and look at this? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a rule of thumb. It would depend on the facts. But if, if you have an allegation about an individual who's still there, and it was the serious allegation, you probably would have to go back. So it's really about the seriousness of, of the allegation and also who is still around accountable at the time. Yeah, I know, you know, whether it would just... <laughs> OK, so, I mean, going back to the non-financial mis misconduct, if it was a ser really serious allegation, I'm not sure you could sweep that under the carpet. Um, if there was harm to consumers, you would probably need to look at that. Um, I mean, one of, one of the things we did, I didn't mention, but you know, when, when you have an, one of the consequences of an investigation is, you know, are, is a customer detriment? Is there a redress that's needed? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, you can be criticized now, you know, for not looking into something. So I think it's, I think th there isn't a sort of one size fits all answer to that. You would need to, Look at it carefully, and then if you decided not to pursue it, you'd want to document those reasons carefully. Right, right. I, I get it. Thank you. Well, Sarah, that's been an absolutely fascinating look into this subject, which I could, I could tell I think we could have four or five podcasts about this. It's very, very, very complicated. And I really want to thank you for cramming so much into uh, to that last episode of the Skyly post, uh, podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to episode 9 of the SCARDI podcast. Stick with us on this journey, as we, like many of you, are trying to navigate these very uncertain times. This is the SCARDI podcast. <laughs>